I think the place where I question my calling the least is when I'm on an airplane, when I'm going somewhere mm. and know that there's a message that I'm about to share, that yeah. I get to be a part of sharing. Totally. Um, and that's what gets me fired up. My name is West Gibbons, and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of my conversation with Kobe Van Summeren. Kobe is a photographer, a filmmaker, and one of my closest friends. We discussed using art to help those in need, the dangers of exploitation when documenting disadvantaged communities, and that one time he was voluntarily homeless for a week. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, give us a rating and a review on iTunes. It genuinely helps us out a lot. And when you're done, send us a screenshot of your review, your mailing address, and we'll send you a Tungsten Originals logo sticker for free. Your support truly means the world to us. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 31 of the Tungsten Originals Podcast. Kobe, thank you so much for sitting down with me and doing this interview. It's my pleasure. How are you doing, sir? Dude, I'm doing great. It's been a hot second. It has been. Since we've seen each other. Like a year and a half kind of hot second, which is absolutely insane. The last time I saw you, I was working on that feature film. Yes. Last year, because Man. we were shooting in a very small town called Port Gibson, which is, I forget how far it was. I think it was like two hours. Like, yeah, an hour and a half, two like hours. Like easily so. doable for like a day drive. Yeah. And we were, this is, I just, re- I realized on the way here, this is the first episode recorded in Mississippi. Really? Yeah. Man. Which is really Honored. bad, considering, <laughs> considering where I'm you're from, from here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, but man. we are recording in Jackson, the lovely capital. The capital of Mississippi. So many potholes. There's no place like it. <laughs> that's for sure. And maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Um, but the way we know each other is pretty interesting. We were uh, roommates senior year at a little school called MSMS, which I don't think I've actually like fully explained what MSMS is on the podcast. Uh, I have a friend at SCAD that gives me a lot of crap for it because I always mention MSMS because yeah. I'm very proud of it. But in reality, I barely graduated from <laughs> We, we definitely we, rode the wave of other more successful people of just being like, hey, can you really just help me get through this class? Right. Like, it was right. none of our own work, right. that's for sure. So MSMS is in Columbus. It stands for the Mississippi School for Mathematics and Science. We met, I honestly, this may be bad. I don't remember the first time that we actually met because we started hanging out junior year. Like that's when we started becoming friends because you were hanging out in my dorm a bunch. It's in a, like it's on a college campus. So we have dorms and everything and junior, senior year of, of uh, high school. But junior year is when we started hanging out. But I don't yeah, remember I don't like, remember how we met. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. It just kinda... Well, because you knew Nathan, who was I my sweet man. Probably. Yeah. I came in with soccer and right. just come in, came in and hung out. And right. then just, we started talking from there. Yeah. And he couldn't get rid of me. So <laughs> here we are. And then we became roommates in here. <laughs> yeah. Which was a time. We won't get into that. <laughs> I think that's, that's I think that's the only thing the episode should be about. <laughs> just our roommate issues just right. becomes a counseling session here. Well, I definitely want to, you know what? I wanted to bring this up. Now is the perfect time to do Let's it. Let's do it. Let's talk about the tank. The tank? Oh, please tell me you remember. The clock. Oh, yes. <laughs> the tank was brilliant. So we had this metal clock that because yeah. neither one of us could wake up to an alarm to save our life. And so we but just specifically you. Specifically you me, had like yeah. a medical reason yeah. why you did it. <laughs> Absolutely. And so just from there it just became 
this symbol of our hatred towards waking up in the morning. Yeah, and for so our 8 a.m. We made a, what was it, probably like a month into school after we yeah. were rooming together. We're like, we're going to destroy this <laughs> on the last day that we are here. So with we, the plunger. With the plunger, because <laughs> that has a whole lot of significance, uh, which we definitely won't get into. <laughs> There's been a lot of change in my personality since then. <laughs> Out of context, that sounds really, really, really weird. It was like one of those classic alarm clocks with like the two bells and a hammer in the middle. And we both had our beds situated where they were like, it wasn't like a bunk, but it was like elevated. And I remember I would like... I would never, I would always wait for you to turn it off. <laughs> so you would have to jump down, which is literally a jump for you because it was like at your height yeah. uh, and turn it off. And luckily we were able to get to our classes on time, yeah, even if it was waking up at 7.55 for, you know, an 8 a.m. I mean, hey, it was a two-minute walk. Exactly. You just, you just sprint to just class. Pour toothpaste in your mouth and go. Right, exactly. <laughs> it, was, it was all it took. That's the high school way. The high school way. Man, but you are from a even smaller town uh, right. next to Columbus called Caledonia. Caledonia, which like population like a thousand. <laughs> it's more than that now. I think it's probably okay. probably around five thousand. I mean, it's grown oh. since of the with the Air Force base and stuff. Oh being there. right. So I mean, that we take in like you know three because of that. So right. Totally. Really, it's you know it's tiny. But <laughs> yeah. went to Caledonia for you know all through elementary, middle school, two mm -hmm. years of high school, and then transferred to MSMS. Yeah. So. But whenever we were at MSMS, I like, I mean, that was like junior year. So I'd like known for a while that I wanted to be a filmmaker. What you've wanted to do, I feel like has changed a bunch <laughs> Man, what over, a journey. over the years. What a journey. Yeah. But now you're doing like photo video work mm -hmm. um, as one of the many things that you do. Tell me about finding that and like how how you realized that that's something that you wanted to take seriously because like we made some videos together, yeah. some like soccer videos and stuff, but it was mostly like, it was mostly me doing it and, and you helping kind of, out. Yeah, but now like, like this is kind of what I think. But... Right, exactly. But yeah, so tell me about finding out about yeah, that. Yeah, man. I mean, like what we've talked about just in catching up over the past few hours. Just yeah. Like it's really come full circle of mm -hmm. going to MSMS, wanting to be a doctor. And then. Oh, was right. Just, yeah, I forgot like, about that. Came to Bellevue. Wow, you've hit and, every profession. <laughs> man, I am a diversified student. That's for sure. It's a diverse um, portfolio of career paths. <laughs> definitely. Um, so yeah, I wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, got to freshman year of Bellhaven and realized mm -hmm. I do not want to be a doctor. Yeah. I hate science and went to a math and science school. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> we really set ourselves we, up we well, really didn't did. we? We really did. Um, and so... You know, we in high school, I was trying to get uh, recruited for college soccer. Right. And Wes <laughs> gave me this version of Premiere Pro to help put right. together clips together um, for my soccer videos to be able to send off to coaches. And yeah. then shortly after that, just kind of hanging out with him, we mm -hmm. started talking about photography, started talking about mm -hmm. video. And I did a small YouTube channel there yeah. for a little while just with fitness and uh, my training schedule with soccer because I had a lot of um, younger guys from my old school from Caledonia who in some ways I think looked up to me um, yeah. in terms of wanting to reach a collegiate level of play. And so right. how many subs did you get on that channel? Ooh, maybe a hundred or so, nice. 100, 150. I think something like that. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent positive. It's right. Been quite a while. Yeah. It's been a hot second. <laughs> it's been a hot second. <laughs> yeah. um, did the, the YouTube thing for a little bit, bought a camera, Sony a 6,000 yep. at the time and just really started, I don't know, walking around with the camera, mm -hmm. showing my, my fitness training, weightlifting, um, 
just soccer drills, that kind of thing to try and pour into these, these younger guys. Um, right. And I never really thought much of it in terms of like an art form or an expression. It was just always like, oh, this is something I can do as a, as a thing for some other person. Like it was kind of like that transactional, you need, have a need, I'm providing a service or a good or that kind of thing. Why was video the path for that? Cause there's multiple ways to, yeah, I mean, I you think, know, teach that. I think, like what drew you to video? Yeah, I think movies. Like honestly, right. just growing yeah. up watching a ton of movies. I mean, I always clung to like a few. I was one of those kids who just yeah. rewatched the Lord of the Rings like seventeen hundred <laughs> right. times. But right. you know, weird kid and all. But mm-hmm. I think visually, like that was always something I would mm-hmm. really just enjoyed. Like that was a way that me and my dad spent time together. Was we watched right. TV in the the evenings when he got off of work or you know that kind of thing. So I think mm-hmm. video was just always something. And you were like pretty into YouTube too. Yeah, and so I was consistently watching YouTube mm-hmm. with like different like FIFA. Uh, like yeah. career mode people who would play yep. and and then some was like fitness i started mm-hmm. getting into watching fitness youtube and then slowly just started shifting from there but then mm-hmm. getting to Bellhaven, you know i changed to business because i wanted to own a business right. realized i didn't need a business degree to run a business mm-hmm. i was like that was a terrible idea uh decided to switch to philosophy because i was oh, like right. well, well at least i'll be able to think in class right. like it'll give me something to do but then I really struggled with like the practical side of using a philosophy degree. Right. I was like, no, how can I like, right. law school? Sure. Maybe medical school. Like, yeah. you know, there are different routes to it, but I just was like, man, this isn't working for me either. <laughs> right. And then, you know, I had the the homeless experience. And so after that, um, right. Which I, we'll definitely dive yeah, we'll, into, we'll dive in into for sure. But that experience really showed me my passion for trying to understand people from cultures that are different than mine. Mm-hmm. And so really diving into that, you know, being able to, to document those journeys right. was something that was key. And I ended up picking up a camera the summer after that happened or mm-hmm. shortly after that happened to do a photo series about the whole experience. Mm-hmm. And again, we'll talk about that. Yeah, but sure. Going to Iraq to a refugee camp to coach soccer. Part of my duties was to uh, take pictures and document oh, the training okay. sessions. I didn't know that was like, yeah, I thought you just did yeah. it for fun. Mm-mm. Okay. So uh, part of my job was to do some media work for the organization, mm-hmm. um, capturing some of the work from my training sessions, but then also a friend of mine who was doing dance with the, the younger mm-hmm younger children and so that was kind of like the first like oh i'm picking up a camera again like i never really thought about it and again it was just like okay they have a need i'm gonna provide Mm. it and just went from there and it's kind of led from one job to the next Mm. and slowly has gained momentum um Mm. it's kind of snowball affected into something that i'm doing pretty much every day now which is nuts especially as the year is about to start so yeah so you were, we were talking earlier about how like for a while it was just like a job mm-hmm. kind of yeah. like a service, like you were saying, sure. was there a moment in which you realized like, Oh, this is actually a form of artistic expression that I enjoy and want to get better at and all that type of stuff. Definitely. I think a year ago was Iraq. So that mm-hmm. was like the first time really diving into like pictures because i'd done the video work a little bit but pictures capturing images and being able to edit so i was like you know me picking up lightroom and like trying to figure out what all the buttons meant and like (laughs) you know it was just like that new i think newfound like oh man this is something i can learn this is something Mm -hmm. that like i could develop what what does that look like and so 
I think I really was enjoying the exploration of that process mm-hmm. more than I gave myself credit for. Yeah. Because I went to a school where there's, you know, a crowd of people who, you know, were very, very serious about art. And that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't, never saw myself fitting into that crowd um, or viewing art in the same ways. And so I think for me, there was some pride there and I didn't mm-hmm. want to be associated with that in any kind of way. But, you know, as I realized, I was like, man, this is about so much more. And I think... I think that's really happened, you know, within the past four or five months of realizing Mm. like, man, there's a message that I want to be able to share. And like, there's an audience that I want to reach. There are people out there who have a story that, you know, they need to be heard. And so I want to be a part of that process, whether that's through picture, video, writing, whatever it might be. And Mm. so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if a specific period of like, man, this is something that I just know as an expression, but I think as I've gradually been more and more involved with it. I've just continued to fall in love with with the art form and then realizing, mm-hmm. you know, how do I as a as an individual show that message and that mm-hmm. that idea, those visions uh, of just how I view the world, like showing that perspective. Yeah. What does that look like mm-hmm. um, and how do I go about doing that? So it's been a journey. Yeah. How much of that is connected to being from a super small town in Mississippi? Man. What do you mean? Like what being tied to being from like wanting to to tell the stories of people who, you know, deserve to have their stories told and maybe can't tell it themselves. Yeah, I think I think growing up, it was more so as me identifying with myself, I think, Mm -hmm. Um, because I felt like oftentimes I felt unheard. You know, that was just kind of a thing in my own life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, small town Mississippi, there were racial boundaries, you know, and so for me, it was always a a tough place to be in because I never felt like I quite fit. And so I never felt like I was being known or being heard. And so, yeah, did you know, like of a, was there growing up, was there like a Native American community near you? No. Okay. We were, you know, we were just, yeah. I mean, my family's from Louisiana. We moved to Columbus or they moved to Columbus. Like, 1990 and so yeah. and then we just they lived in columbus for a few years and they moved to caledonia uh and then i you know lived there ever since right and so we were just kind of the, always the oddballs i think <laughs> right. and so for me it was just like i just always stuck out you know i never mm-hmm. really fit in with either you know the predominant races that were there right. or just the like you know whether it was academics or athletics right. or art like i never quite had one that i was just really centered in mm-hmm. on and so i think that was mainly where it came from and then i right. think the the journeying out i think was really a lot based in being from a small town mm-hmm. you know i think we many people from small town just like they get so kind of fed up with the small town like want right. to go and experience something and want to travel and journey and and find themselves on that journey mm-hmm. and i think that was a big part of it for me once i came to college and a you know, bigger city and just right you know that was the moments when i was like man this is something that i can do i can forge this yeah. path and away from kind of that past you know and mm-hmm. not being heard and what i can do instead is to be able to help other people yeah. share their their stories and have them be heard mm-hmm. um, and so yeah so tell the story about how you ended up in iraq and ended up working in the middle east and all that stuff yeah so for me i didn't really find my faith um as a, as a christian until my second semester uh, of freshman year i'd mm-hmm. grown up in the church and it had often turned into much of moralism kind of legalism mm-hmm. um you know don't do drugs, don't do alcohol, don't have right. sex, those kind of things, you know? And that was, you know, you being a good kid, you being a good mm-hmm. Christian. And But growing up, you know, it was, was bullied quite a bit just because of a lot of those racial issues mm-hmm. or just being a smaller guy or, you know, whatever it could be. And so 
I had a lot of anger towards those people and mm-hmm. then just had some family members struggle with, with different, you know, like alcoholism mm-hmm. and, um, and then my family always struggled with finances. And so mm-hmm. having some sense of like financial responsibility at a young age was always a burden that I felt. And right. so, um, I remember we had an, a conversation probably senior year yeah. at MSMS, probably at 4am when we should have been doing our, <laughs> our work. Been, yeah. Sleeping or, work work. or sleeping. Uh, well, we should have done our work, you know, the day before, probably. But, <laughs> but I remember you saying that you were like, you wanted to keep record of all of the stuff that your parents paid for. So that one day mm-hmm. you could yeah. pay them back. That sticks, that sticks out to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's still a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how that's going to look now, but right. <laughs> the career right. about them going, but who knows? Right. Maybe. Um, but yeah, that's definitely a dream to look forward to and, and mm-hmm. try and seek after. And so, yeah, just all of those burdens. I had a lot of anger um, mm-hmm. towards a lot of people in my life and past relationships mm-hmm. and just all, you know, the whole, whole shebang mm-hmm. and um, really finding the Lord that second semester of my freshman year. I didn't really know what it meant, but I knew that I couldn't carry that anger any longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew, man, he, Christ had to have bore that for me. And if that's true, then I want to find out if that's true. And so I sat on this path as, as many people do, I think in general of finding, you know, their meaning and their purpose in life. And, and that's where I found mine, um, you know, going to Zimbabwe. And mm-hmm. so that was like the first, you know, mission trip that I went on mm-hmm. and, you know, reaching out to people in those communities who had never heard the gospel before. And so, really from there, I was, you know, really scared of sharing my testimony and mm-hmm. didn't really see it as having an impact. And, but then I felt like the Lord just showed me over and over again through that experience that, you know, he was using my story as a means of impacting other people mm-hmm. and then therefore giving them the, the freedom uh, and the power to be able to share their own stories mm-hmm. uh, and be able to, to walk freely in that. And so I began, you know, being involved with ministry, which I fought for about a year as I was going through <laughs> those majors right. and everything, you know, I was just really like, man, I don't, I'm not going to go and do ministry. Right. That's just not yeah. what I'm going to do. Uh, Cause I saw ministry as I'm going to be a pastor at a small right. church and yeah. make zero money. Cause <laughs> you know, and I was right. like, I don't like having financial problems. Right. Um, but uh, yeah. And so I fought that for about a year, but then mm-hmm. I realized, you know, the only place that I really felt fulfilled using any gifting or talent that I had was in ministry when I was mm-hmm. helping other people experience that freedom, that, mm-hmm. that joy that I felt like I was experiencing, that I was experiencing mm-hmm. that really kind of shifted me into to ministry as yeah. more of a, a serious consideration of this is where my life could lead. And that led into Iraq, which right. was crazy because um, a lot of that was tied to my soccer injury. Right. Yeah. That's so, what I was going to ask. Yeah. Because with soccer, I ended up going to Belhaven playing for two years. My second year, I ended up having a torn labrum in my hip and that kind of ruled me out for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Had surgery the following May. And I remember after surgery, I was sitting on my couch and was just yeah. like, man, I like, why would the Lord give me this skill and a talent just to take it away because of this injury? Mm-hmm. And I was like depressed. <laughs> it was just, right. you know, struggling and not being I, able to do anything. Yeah. It was just like yeah. sitting on a couch. Like, Cause you're a very know, active yeah, person. Yeah. <laughs> it was very busy. I would thrive in that situation. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> Man. Um, so yeah, I was just sitting on the couch and I was like, all right, Lord, like you use soccer. How do you want to use soccer in my life? Mm-hmm. And that ended up leading to a couple days later after I did that, I got a phone call and it was, Hey, do you want to coach soccer in Iraq in a refugee camp? 
And I was like, oh. That's a big phone call. Yeah, I was like, oh, oh, that's how he wants to use right. it. Like it wasn't, it was so much less about me and so mm-hmm. much more about him. And so if that was my way of being able to share that hope and joy uh, mm-hmm. with other people and help other people, then I was 100% willing to do that. Yeah. And so that led into, hey, I have a camera, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll bring it when I go to Iraq and I'll try and help document as much as I can. I've done some video work and mm-hmm. I'll help in any way that I, I can possibly uh, do that for you guys. And yeah, that's how it's kind of tied into to ministry and, yeah, and, and everything. And, yeah, crazy yeah. stuff. So whenever you were taking pictures over there, mm-hmm. how did how do you approach that? Because there's a lot of a lot of people use photography to exploit those people in disenfranchised countries uh, slash situations. There's some I forget some someone I know that's also Mississippian said like whenever people who aren't from Mississippi come from Mississippi uh, or come to Mississippi to do like a documentary series like they just do like poverty porn stuff. They just show the worst of the worst and like try to emphasize those areas, which like, yeah, obviously where the poorest state, like that's a huge problem, but it can be exploitative. So how do you deal with that without having a formal art education? Yeah, man, it's, you know, it was definitely tough. Cause I, I didn't yeah. realize the dynamics of that going into right. Iraq. Like I had no clue. Yeah. Um, unfortunately the organization I worked for, you know, we, we struggled kind of on that portion of it to the okay. point where I didn't even give my media to them just because oh, like, really? that's, it's prevalent, like in yeah, NGOs totally. and, and ministries, like, and that's the what's, sad what's reality of what NGO is nonprofit, non-governmental organization. Oh, okay. Sorry. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's just a nonprofit. Right. Um, and so that's it's real and i didn't mm-hmm. experience i had never experienced anything like that before mm-hmm. of man these people are vulnerable and there right. are people who are coming in here and capitalizing off their vulnerability like mm-hmm. that is not honorable that is right. to them that's not right. respectful for their individuality there you know the beauty in their create like them as a creation like that's it's just not an okay thing to do to come in and especially without any form of consent yeah. or any understanding of why they don't even know are, what they're consenting no, to exactly. like, <laughs> they have no idea where it's going to be used right. how it's going to be used like right. a lot of these people you know they don't understand the platforms that mm-hmm. are often used in terms of totally. marketing like they just you know it's not a thought in their mind yeah. and so to do that freely uh, and so easily is something that really is um, worth studying and mm-hmm. you know we talked about I'm going to be doing that this upcoming year just right. really how do, how do we do that better as ministries mm-hmm. as NGOs how do you you know, really tell these people's stories and have them be an active part of telling their story. Uh, yes, you're documenting it, but you mm-hmm. don't need to tell their story for them. Um, right. It's it's really them doing the the storytelling uh, in many ways, I, mm-hmm. I think. And so, I think just going into it, it's it's one of those things for one of asking permission. Like even right. if they were children, like asking their consent, be like, hey. And again, there's that was kind of my perspective on it mm-hmm. from the beginning. But I didn't real again, I didn't realize, oh, they don't have a clear enough understanding right. of how it's going to be used. So even right. asking consent is really not like, how much does that really do? Right. Like, is that, yeah, is that yeah, super yeah. productive? What I've now began doing as, as I've kind of continued on in ministry, oftentimes what I'll do is if there are any children involved, mm-hmm. um, then what I'll do is take pictures from the back. And so you right. can't, you can't ever see their face. Yeah. Sometimes you can, yeah. and there's, it's hard to get away from that, but it's right. never something like you know, the kids with distended bellies and like tears right. in their eyes and the flies right. flying around them. And there's a real problem of compassion fatigue. Right. And so mm. as you've seen, um, as, as NGOs and stuff, international, mm 
kind of organizations have, have come about to, to help those in poverty or ministries, whatever mm-hmm. it might be, you've seen a lot of those types of images being used. Um, and that's been a consistent yeah. trend like, yeah. since those types of organizations yeah. have started, since humanitarian aid has, has kind of come about. And initially that worked, right? They saw that that was like, no mm-hmm. one knew about that kind of need. But now that it's so oversaturated with those types of images that there's no real productivity it's like less powerful progress. Yeah, yeah there's no progress to it because like people are so used to seeing those images right and there's there's a part of them that's kind of shut off like on the empathetic mm-hmm. side of like i've seen that image before right. like it doesn't matter if it's an individual or a child's face like yeah they're just like i've just seen it before and so there's no real way of connecting and so you just have a market that's oversaturated with those types of images and there's no real progress that is, is being made like there is yeah. but like it's not being as it could be as more well. effective yeah it yeah. could definitely be more effective mm-hmm. um and so it's definitely hard um yeah. and for me what i try and do is yes tell the story as truthfully as you can of like the environments that they live in the type of circumstances that they're that they are in and tell that story as as honestly as you can but i think those the humanitarian aid ministry, all of it, I think there has to be a sense of, of joy and hope that are coming from these videos because so many times with videos, with images, it just can be like, this is just poverty. And like, there's right. no reconciliation, there's no right. redemption in it. And so what I try and do now is, is find ways of telling their story with what's next. Like mm. asking the question of like, how do I get people to really engage with it? Because mm-hmm. again, people have so often been like, I've, I've seen that before, yeah. you know, and that could be a hard thing um, because there are still so many people out there who need a, they need help. Mm. They need hope and joy and yeah. love uh, to be shared with them mm-hmm. uh, and to have that for themselves. And so yeah i don't know if that answers the question but i think it does yeah i think it does it's a good answer either okay. way it's a long one <laughs> it's a good podcast answer <laughs> yeah. um so you you very like you you mentioned this earlier about you uh being homeless mm-hmm. now that will catch people off guard rightfully so because <laughs> sure. it's a weird thing to just brush over yeah. <laughs> sorry <laughs> um no it's fine that's why i'm talking about it now just tell i'm just going to leave you give you an open floor just tell that story because it's it's i think it's a, a really powerful thing and actually the last time we saw each other when i came through you kind of you know gave me a tour of the city yeah and to, to where you experienced you that, that and stuff yeah. but tell me about why you did that what your mom's reaction was <laughs> and all sure, that stuff. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that was really, again, it was kind of that first year of, of really knowing the Lord. And so I was trying to find a way of locally pouring into people to, to share that hope, that joy mm-hmm. um, that I ex- felt like I had been experiencing for myself. And so uh, the homeless community in Jackson is one that is oftentimes overlooked. And so, cause Jackson is Mississippi's biggest city. Mm-hmm. So a lot of like the problems I feel like that are throughout the state are kind of amplified here. Definitely. You know, definitely. And so I'm, I mean, we have a population here of the homeless community. Um, it's probably, you know, conservative numbers would put it around a thousand. I would probably mm. say it's more like fifteen hundred, um, just because right. there are a lot of people who are not counted. Right, uh, and exactly. It's, it's a tough situation, um, and so. I began working with a ministry called Jackson Street Ministries. You go out every Wednesday night and we would feed the homeless. We'd have a meal prepared for them and just build relationships with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really the the intention behind it was to check in on people to make sure that they're doing okay, that if mm-hmm. there was anything that we could do, if there was any way that we could help, that we would be trying to do that, um, but really just loving on them. Mm-hmm. And so after about a year of doing that, I began to be really curious about what other people thought about the homeless. Cause I had, mm-hmm. you know, grew like I was in the city seeing it every single day. Right. Like, you know, what did people back home think about it? 
And so I was like, I'm going to start asking those questions to people and just see. And mm -hmm. so going back home, I, you know, asked a few people in Jackson, I asked a few people and unfortunately there were a lot of negative views of yeah. who the homeless were. And so that began to really frustrate me because you right. know, they would put these people in, in a box They you know, oh, they're all alcoholics. Oh, they're all drug addicts. Yeah. Oh, they're all, you know, mentally whatever. unstable yeah. or, or whatever it might be. And I was just like, man, have you ever known these people? Like, have you ever right. talked to them? And majority of the time, it's no. Yeah. And so it's just like, how do you, how do you do that? You know, mm -hmm. like, how do you put this person in a box? How do you define this person without ever actually knowing who they are? And so I, I really just began questioning. I was like, like, how do I put myself in another person's shoes? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I show empathy? How do I connect with both the people that I'm ministering with, but also the people I'm telling the stories to uh, on our side of society. Right. right. And so I really just dug into that question. Like, like, you know, how do I put myself in another person's shoes? How do I show that empathy? And I felt the Lord just really <laughs> gave me this idea. And it was, well, you can literally put yourself in other people's yeah. shoes. <laughs> and then that got scary really fast. <laughs> yeah. And so, reasonably so. And it took me months to really kind of, right. you know, process that and what yeah. that meant. And ultimately what I felt led to do was to go into that environment of like, what does it mean to be homeless? Mm -hmm. um, and no, I was not, you know, a part of that society in full. Mm -hmm. I was not a homeless person. I was, I had a place to stay. Right. I had a job. Like all of those things are so, so true. And I never went in with the intention of being like, I'm a homeless person and I know exactly right. how you feel. But put placing myself in that environment to at least get a glimpse of what it meant to be in that type of environment, to mm -hmm. understand some of the difficulties that they faced, uh, to try and empathize at least it was, mm -hmm. it was an effort. And so I, you know, decided it was spring break, uh, March of last year. Yeah. yeah I think that was year. last year. Yeah. And so decided to go with a backpack, a Bible, a journal, a water bottle, a couple of cans of soup mm -hmm. and like, you know, 15 bucks. And that mm -hmm. was it. And just walked out in the street. I had no plan. I had no strategy of, you know, what I was going to do, who mm -hmm. I was going to talk to, nothing. It was just like, I'm just going to trust the Lord with it. And so, um, yeah, it was just crazy. You know, I felt very much attacked by fear. Like I very yeah. much felt like this voice of saying like, you're not going to be able to do it. You're a coward. Mm -hmm. You're going to give up those kinds of things. And usually when I see fear, I just try and run towards it. And so that was kind mm -hmm. of the thing. I was like, I'm going to put it out of my mind. It's like, Lord's made me strong. I'm, I'm going to be good. Mm -hmm. And I get through, go through about halfway and realize I was terrified. Yeah. Um, you know, the first day that I was out in the streets, was walking around a corner and just had my backpack on, I was walking around the corner around the city well, didn't really have any kind of plan again. I just didn't know where to go. Mm -hmm. um, walked around a corner, sat down. There's a guy in a car um, across the street in a parking lot. And it was a gray sedan. And I just remember seeing him turn back and look at me. And I was like, you know, what is that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I stood up and I walked across the street and um, was trying to just see like what would happen after that. And he started following me. And I... And what, what time of day is this? This is midday. Oh, like, wow. Just okay. just Saturday. Okay. Yeah. It was a Saturday. Yeah. And so midday, no one was in Jackson. Like mm -hmm. Jackson's kind of dead <laughs> in terms yeah. of the city. There's not a whole lot going yeah. on, but uh, especially on a Saturday midday, but, mm -hmm. um, walking around, we, I, I went around another corner and I saw him start following me. And so pretty much what happened is I ended up zigzagging between streets and, and buildings to try and get away from him mm -hmm. and was blessed. I, I was able to, I uh, was able to just kind of like backtrack and be able yeah. to watch him go and as mm -hmm. he was continuing to search for me. And so that was a really scary moment yeah. of like, Oh, this is 
this is real because yeah. <laughs> I had told my mom that I was like, Oh, my parents, uh, I was like, man, I'm, I'm doing ministry for the week of spring break. And so I won't be home, but I hadn't, I, I thought you had told your dad that you were doing so it. I, I did tell my okay. dad, that was, okay. but I told my mom, I was like, I'm just doing ministry. Right. And I was like, dad, should I tell her? And he was like, no, don't do that. son. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so your dad's was, a smart man. Yeah, was your mother would have freaked out rightfully. <laughs> she, so she, would have. she should I mean, have. She freaked out after too. <laughs> right. but, um, yeah, no, she had no clue. Um, she, she was like, I knew something what's up but uh right yeah so about halfway through all of those fears just really started to weigh on me yeah like, i began to crack um mm -hmm. you know i was sleeping under a bridge mm -hmm. and i very vividly remember just like just thinking like oh what? like every bad thing that could happen to a person yeah. under a bridge just came into my mind i was like i'm gonna get murdered i'm gonna like yeah. something's gonna happen because jackson's like like a spread out place yeah so you know it's, like it's you have not, to walk far to get to yeah, it it's not super condensed yeah um, and so <laughs> like the rest of Mississippi, <laughs> it's very typical of Mississippi. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I remember walking across the bridge and I looked over, it was middle of the night. Cause I was just all that fear. I was like, I have to get out of here. I have to go back towards Bellhaven neighborhood at least because that's right. where I felt like some form of comfort. I was like, I have to get away from here. And so I remember looking over the bridge and just being like, if I didn't have my faith, if I didn't have my family, if I didn't have my friends, what was to stop me from jumping and being done? And that was a really profound thought, I mm -hmm. think, because afterwards upon reflecting it, you know, mental health is such a big deal yeah. with, within the homeless community. Because, I mean, unfortunately, there's like hospitals letting a lot of like their psychiatric wards just go into the streets like they oh, wow. it's because they don't have the space. And right. so they're just like, OK, well, you're not the worst. Yeah. So we're going to you just need to leave. Um, and it's and so, not properly funded and anything. Of course. And mm -hmm. we've seen it a lot in our generation, mm -hmm. especially a lot of this problems. Definitely. And so. I think the misconception is that people are on the streets because they're mentally ill. Yeah. And I think the real truth is being on the streets for any reason right. can cause you to be mentally totally. ill. Like I've yeah. been there for three days. Mm -hmm. That was it. And it, and I already had a, a thought that was, you know, vaguely dark. Like, yeah. and well, not vaguely, not vaguely. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty yeah, uh, it's, straightforward, dark. It was, it was bad. Um, right. but just in those moments, uh, I just realized the Lord's provision throughout it and just mm -hmm. was able to like, man, I made it to the next day and that's a blessing yeah. and I'm just thankful to be alive. Mm -hmm. And I get done through the whole experience. Uh, that's, the whole story is just crazy. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll write a book on it one day or something. Well, we'll yeah, see. that's the, when it, whenever we hung out that yeah, time, yeah, you were talking about yeah. potentially writing a book because yeah. you were going to be uh, like immobilized because of surgery. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Man, what a time. So what did you learn about? about yourself and about yeah. those people that yeah. you want to serve through sure. that experience. So I get done uh, with the whole experience and I remember I went the next day and this was the plan was to do a hundred hours. Uh, right. Yeah, so there was this that. whole bit to it. Uh, I plan to do a hundred hours. Yeah. I get done, wake up, go like just wake up the next day and all the clocks were different. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, right. I, I was forgot like, what? About it's like the clocks are different. Daylight savings time had happened. Oh, and so I missed so it by one hour. <laughs> I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You like, could have just gone and sat on a bench for an hour. That's what I, was, and you... I literally thought that. I was like, am I, what do I do? Just walk around the street for an hour or something like, and count it? Like, what do I, I was like, no, I can't do that. And so uh, it happened to be a Wednesday. Yeah. And I realized, oh, Jackson Street Ministries goes and serves on Wednesday nights. I was like, all right, so I need to be there. And so I go out and we, we all prayed right before we go out. And the guy started praying and it was about the parable of the 99 sheep mm -hmm. and how the Lord leaves the 99 and goes in search of the one. And so I just mm -hmm. felt the Lord show me in that moment, leave the 99 hours right. and go in search of the one for him the same way that he searches for me. And so even in my attempts to make that experience about me of like, Oh, I did right. this. Like I was able to experience this. 
he showed me that it was about him and it was very right. humbling. Um, and it's the craziest thing now because I don't know if I've told you this, but Swayze, uh, my boss for FCA now, this internship that I'm about to walk into, he was the guy who prayed in that, in oh, that circle. Wow. So like, that's how we first met. Oh, cool. And so it's just been kind of like one event after yeah. another, just connections and, um, how the Lord's just moved. And so I think there's a lot of, of dynamics in terms of the homeless that, you know, you could pour into that you could dive into. Right. Um, again, the mental health thing is yeah. huge. I think race is also oh, a, yeah. a big issue uh, in terms of the homeless. I yeah. mean, primarily African-American majority. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the rougher neighborhoods of, you know, West Jackson are, mm-hmm. are primarily African-American. And so, you know, where, where there's less education, where there's less, yep. you know, aid, it's just there's going to be crime. There's going to be tougher situations. And mm-hmm. so that's a dynamic to really think about as well. And I don't, I don't think people... You know, it's, it's easier to kind of brush it off as like, oh, yeah. well, they are not working hard enough. And it's like, man, right. they're not given opportunity. <laughs> yeah, either. absolutely. It's, it's not an equal opportunity. Because to get a job, you have to have an address. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, it's a cycle. There's so many it's things. All of a, it's all a cycle. And there are a lot of organizations that are trying desperately to right. work in the Jackson area. And I've, I've worked alongside a lot of them. But, you know, it's just, it can be really tough. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's small battles that are won. Yeah. Um, there's very few that are just really strong turnaround stories. But, yeah. Um, I think for me, I, I really begin to understand, like, this is like you are alone on these streets. Like there's no trust. Like, you know, again, if, if I didn't have my faith, if I didn't have my family, if I didn't have my friends, like so much of that was because of trust. Like I, mm-hmm. I didn't, you won't, you don't have people to trust on the streets. Did Not you have really. any, any positive interactions with anybody? I did. Um, okay. you know, I, I went into a Whataburger one night <laughs> and a, a, one of the waiters came up to me and was just like, sat down and talked. Um, oh, wow. And, and so, I mean, I had a story of just kind of like how I ended up there and it was right. just to try and, I don't know, just to say, stay more vague of like, okay. Oh, uh, cause oh, I, it was okay, kind of a cover of like, right. I wasn't going to tell them like, Oh, I'm living on the street, you know, right. <laughs> at that yeah. time. Um, but she offered me food and, and talked to me and was really sweet and really kind. Um, so that was one experience yeah. you know, walking down the streets. I that was walking past another homeless guy. Mm. Um, and he, he it was like hey man like like what's up and i was just like nothing much he's like would you would you mind just sitting down for a second and i was like sure why he was like well there's just really not that many people to talk to Mm -hmm. and i was just like that's that's only once like you know we the simplest thing it's so easy to be like oh they're just out to to get you and i'm like man they just need people to talk to like they need the same like trust the same Mm -hmm. care the same relationships that that we function on and Mm -hmm. it's really easy to to start losing sight of anything hopeful or anything Mm -hmm. joy joyous when all those things are taken away from you. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of mm. different little events um, that I've taken out of it, but those are kind mm-hmm. of the main things. So. Yeah. Well, another way that you've used uh, art to help the people you want to mm-hmm. help is that you have a company called World Operation Apparel. I do. Tell me, tell me what that's all about. Yeah. And so, I mean, I know, but tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So World Operation Apparel kind of came out of this, of, of oftentimes my, really was my homeless experience. Mm-hmm. Um, just the work that I was doing within uh, the homeless community, I, I really had a passion for poverty alleviation. And so I kind of started off like doing really, really broad. I was like, you know, doing some stuff with like refugees, but I would mm-hmm. also help support like some environmental stuff. Like mm-hmm. I was trying to be diverse with it, but I realized like it was too diverse, you know, like right. I didn't have a, a super centered vision. And so that's when I began narrowing it down after a few months. And uh, I started off with little bracelets. Remember like the rubber yeah. bracelets was crazy. It was like, 
you know, it was a 500 of them, I think, that I bought right, for like totally. $100 or yeah. something. And just use those as a, a way of marketing and being able to use the the funds for that to support those different uh, organizations, those yeah. different um, just relief efforts. So and the idea is that every month you donate yeah, half of the profits to yeah. a different... So 50% yeah. of the net profits from every single month will, will go to whatever organization right. for the month. And so now that I've narrowed that down to poverty mm-hmm. alleviation, you know, I specifically work with organizations that are working in that field. Right. Right. Um, and for me, I, I feel like there are a lot of businesses that give back. And I think that's a, a beautiful, amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also seen organizations or businesses that will use that as a strategy just to get more sales. Well, that's just what I was about yeah. to ask you, because yeah. you are I mean, this is a quote unquote company, but it's you, yeah. you know, it's, it's you just, just like tuxed as <laughs> yeah. me. You yeah, know definitely. what I mean? Like that's we're both the same in that situation. Mm-hmm. And 50 percent is that's legitimate. Like that's a, that's sizable. Sure. So what do you think about this company that's like 2% will plant a tree or whatever, you know, because I, yeah. I think like, I don't know, there's good and bad because mm-hmm. any, any amount of effort is good, even yes. if it's like a hundred bucks or whatever yeah, it is, sure helps. Any help is good. But like, you know, those are big corporations and then like a consumer buys a water bottle and they're mm-hmm. like, I helped. And it's like, well, if you would have taken that money, and just donated it directly, <laughs> it would have been a bigger thing. It would have so been. like speak on that. Yeah. You know, and in specifically with my major so i'm an intercultural studies major and mm. a lot of what we study is how to build relationships with people right. again that are from cultures I've different never than heard ours. Of that major before that's it's, really it's relatively new you know yeah. it's really come around at about mid 90s and so it's, okay. it's kind of a branch off of like sociology and right. like a social science essentially. Yeah, yeah yeah and yeah i think we study a lot of especially with missions work especially with mm-hmm. organizations how can we use the money most effectively to reach people um, right because you have a lot of that right like yeah you know you'll have a missions team that'll or you know just a team who go over to a nonprofit organization overseas and you're spending $25,000 to send all of these people over there right. for a week and it's like well what could they have used that money for <laughs> right, and exactly. you know there's no easy answer to that of course, because totally. like it's all circumstantial depending on yeah. the, the group of people you're trying to reach but I think for me it's really hard to really support organizations or businesses that are only taking the 1% or the mm-hmm. 2% because I just know like there's so much more that we can do right. and I think you know, on their part, I think there's some maybe selfish ambition in that of like, right. oh, okay, well, we just have to have our numbers and we have to have sales and we have to have an increasing revenue stream, which is fair. Which is fair. You I, know, I that's, get it, that's the world we live in. I think, I just think for me, it's just mm-hmm. different. You know, I, I think for me, it's just about the people and like, right. it's, it's just something I run on the back of my car. And so it's not like, it, <laughs> right. I'm not going to be living on a salary because of that. Totally. Business. So yeah. I think for me, I just, I just want to reach people. And so if the most money that I can give, uh, possibly give while covering the expenses right. of, of producing whatever the, the hats that I've made, the clothing yeah. that I've made, uh, if I can produce that and continue the business going and just continue sharing the word, like that's what it's about is more so the movement of like, I genuinely want to reach these people. Right. And so that's what I'm passionate about. And I think, you know, organizations, it's funny, you know, you can always tell the intentions of a company, but if you look at their bank account, right, if you, right. If you look at their calendars totally. in their bank account, yeah. it's like you follow the money, you follow where their time is spent. And that's so my dad says, follow the money. Yeah. And yeah. so I think, I think that's just big for me is I want to spend t- intentional time with those people. And mm-hmm. so the organizations that I actually donate to, I don't donate to organizations that I've never personally worked with be- mm, because okay. Interesting. I, I don't know the people, right. I don't know the ministry or the, the business, the, how it's working. Yeah. And so I don't want to blindly give money to something that may or may not 
go to be right. used for the people that I'm wanting to reach. Yeah, totally. And so I think I've just really tried to, you know, again, diversify the ministries that I've been involved with, yeah. the organizations I've been involved with. But, and that's been really great to, mm-hmm. to really just kind of share this vision and almost like kind of a grassroots movement. Like that's yeah. what I want is our college age is such a time where we have a lot of freedom to, to get yeah. involved, to support, you know, different organizations, different visions. And so I want to be able to share that with other people, mm-hmm. get them involved with these organizations and really start impacting and making change. And mm-hmm. that's what I want for the city of Jackson. You know, I want, right. I want people to really start getting involved with the community. And right. so the homeless community is one way of doing that, of seeing some of the, you know, human depravity at its barest form sometimes, yeah. you know, just like that's a struggle and trying to empathize with them as people, because those people are so much more like us than we give them credit for. Mm-hmm. They're, they're people, you know, they're just like everyone. They're, they're searching for a purpose right. they're, they're trying to find their way and so there's so much more that you can connect with them on mm-hmm. than you think and it's really just about getting out there and doing it um you know use caution use discernment go right. with organizations use who have judgment. been there yeah right. definitely but get involved it, yeah. this is one of the i think the best times to to be able to do that mm-hmm. and really anytime like if there's an hour like that's what i want right like that's the right. point of that story it's like if it, an hour of time to really build relationship like that's what i want so that's kind of went into the business and mm-hmm. you know I, i've had a lot of great feedback from that and yeah. unfortunately it's kind of slowed a little bit just with being busy in college and that happens totally. but something i'm very passionate about would mm-hmm. love to see continue to to spread to yeah to so grow. What's, what's the dream for like world operation apparel in like five years definitely um you know so and this is i don't know if i've actually talked to you about this but what i would love to see is you know it go like the the funding for it almost becoming a nonprofit in and of itself right yeah okay um, yeah and so but that being directly tied to almost a creative agency mm-hmm. um, because what i've seen a lot of the time overseas is, is organizations don't have the budget for media uh, yeah. So picture, video, like that's super expensive to try and fly someone mm-hmm. out to pay for them to be there, their lodging, the equipment that they mm-hmm. use, like all of it to be able to then market, um, to be able to share those visions, the, those stories with other mm-hmm. people. And so what I would love to see is it become a nonprofit to support creatives to go in. So like those organizations do give as much of their budget as they can to the media that's being produced. But at the same time, us raising money, uh, the organization raising money to then go to them to be able to help reach those types of people. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are again unreached um, mm-hmm. depending on how you define unreached and right. so uh, but people who are really struggling in, in yeah. the depths of poverty and so you know having photographers videographers graphic designers website designers like all of it I yeah. would love to see it kind of develop into something of that nature where you're traveling to these different organizations all around the world mm-hmm. using creative gifts and talents to yeah. be able to share a message and doing that uh, in a way that is is honoring to those people uh, mm-hmm. and is doing that as honestly as possible and so yeah maybe it continues to help other organizations around the world with mm-hmm. with poverty alleviation maybe it begins to be almost like a, a stream uh, mm-hmm. like a revenue stream f- to help support the creative agency as well and do a mix of both um, mm-hmm. i'm not really sure how that would right. pan out but there's a lot of steps between now totally. and, and there totally. so it could yeah. it could change tomorrow but that's right. that's something that i'd be really passionate about is because mm-hmm. i think the place where i question my calling the least is when i'm on an airplane when i'm going somewhere mm-hmm. and know that there's a message that i'm about to share that yeah. i get to be a part of sharing totally um and that's what gets me fired up so mm-hmm. yeah I wonder just as a thought experiment, if you would have grown up in a different state, same situation, mm-hmm. everything, but just in a different state, mm-hmm. what would happen? I talk about Mississippi so much, but I mm-hmm. think it's such a misunderstood place in so many different ways. It has such a complicated history mm-hmm. and a complicated present. <laughs> Definitely. There's just so many layers like to all the issues here. Like a lot of people think there's one answer 
to solve a problem in Mississippi. It's Never. like, well, you have 200 years of <laughs> so many socio issues mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I only understand like the tip of the iceberg. from. Yeah. But like, I just think you being in a place where that stuff is seen all the time, like poor education, we are like, we are, we have uh, one of the lowest the worst educations we are like are one of the highest food uh, food insecure states like poverty is a huge problem mm-hmm. so much income inequality here like i i really think that that is uh, you know a big influence Definitely. especially since the fact that we got to go to msms mm-hmm. because msms is as it is described which i think is super accurate mm-hmm. the most diverse block in the entire state which Definitely. is so true like Mm -hmm. i interacted with people that i never would have interacted with Mm -hmm. at msms you know back in my home high school so i think you can you can draw a pretty straight through line to our education at msms our (laughs) struggling through that struggling through it but (laughs) ap calculus was a trip (laughs) oh man shout out to my friend emily for literally single-handedly being the only reason i passed that class um to like where we grew up definitely. respectively no it's it's definitely tied for me i mm-hmm. mean again i being native american being indonesian mm-hmm. you know being a minority it's it was something that immediately began standing out growing up right. you know, just struggling with a lot of racial issues I, right. I saw you know the split between you know whites and blacks very vividly at times yeah. and then experienced you know some ostracization. i can't even say that word anyways <laughs> pushing me to the side <laughs> <laughs> because of my my race right. um I, I saw that firsthand you know yeah. I, I tell people all the time i'm like i wouldn't be passionate about the things that I'm passionate about if it weren't for Mississippi. Like as much as, as much as I wanted to oftentimes growing up, look at Mississippi and be like, I just want to get away from here. This is the worst. Like we've had so many conversations about that. We've had so many, you know, like as much as I want to do that, like I wouldn't be the person I am without that. Oh, right. And so you see this a a ton, especially with our education, right? Mm -hmm. Like how many people leave MSMS and leave Mississippi and never come back? Right. Right. You see the same thing that happens in so many developing countries is the the brightest, That's most a good educated. Point. Right. They leave, they become doctors and they, yes, they send money back, but they, they hardly ever return. Right. To really begin to see That's this redemption. Parallel. Yeah. Like it happens all the time. And I think it yeah. happens in Mississippi. Absolutely. I, I, I see that. Well, constantly. that's why Mississippi was created was to prevent what they call brain drain. All the yeah, people so get that's, educated that's exactly here and then brain they drain. go somewhere it's, else. It's yeah. the same thing in developing countries. You know, mm-hmm. like so many people from those refugee camps I was working with in Iraq, like the most educated ones, like they would end up leaving, getting a job in Europe never coming back and right the, the un, really unfortunate thing was sometimes you were just doing that to survive um and you yeah know, and that was at the expense of your family or you know yeah. there's so many different dynamics that could happen and that's with the thing that. it's like it's not to fault those people no, because no, 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 I, no. I would be hypocritical because here i am going to school in of savannah course, georgia you know like we are very very privileged and so right. i think it's just hard all around and there's yeah. no easy answer for it but yeah. i think with with Mississippi, like I've seen so much of how my education has played into why I've been given the opportunities that I've oh, been given. hundred percent. You know, like, that's where MSMS it starts. was a the reason I talk about it so much is mm-hmm. because that was a life changing opportunity. Yeah, it was. You know, like my world opened up tenfold mm-hmm. just meeting those people. Yeah, you know, definitely. So I don't know, man. It's it's definitely played a, a role. I think with the amount of opportunities that are, are here in mm. the state to be able to help people 
right. and just seeing that it's not being done is, is a hard place to be. And, mm. it, and sometimes it can be draining. It can be exhausting. Um, and sometimes it doesn't feel like you're making real progress, but I think it's very slow continuing to, and again, like, right, it's 200 plus years right. worth of, of issues yeah. and we're, you know, maybe expecting them to be done in 60 to 70 and it's <laughs> right, like, exactly. you know, it's so much easier to break things and it takes a lot longer to try and fix them, you know, like it's, very it's good just point. a moment to break them and, mm-hmm. and uh, years <laughs> yeah. to, to try and repair yeah. it. Um, and so those, those impacts go far, way farther than probably yeah. what even me and you know at this moment mm-hmm. in our life. Yeah, you know? totally. And you know, again with with the hunger like that's a big issue like the stuff that's going on in the delta with the flooding like yeah that's unprecedented right yeah, now there really know, like, is that's like once in like 200 years types of flooding that's definitely happened. and yeah. i think i think was it feeding america i think had a statistic one time and it was like they listed like nine counties of like extreme like hunger like yeah. poverty of hunger and i think like six or seven of them were in mississippi right and it's just like you know, that's hard, but like yeah. if, if I see Mississippi and I've had the privilege of having the education that I've had and the opportunities that I've had, I would, I would regret so much if I didn't use that opportunity to come back and to be able to say like, Hey, this is possible for you. And together we can make this a better place. Right. Like it can be a better state. Right. Uh, there's so much redemption that is possible. Um, right. And I think that just goes back into my own faith too. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like where does the Lord show his beauty most? It's mm-hmm. where there's the most brokenness. Yeah. You know, like if it, small fix, oh, you know, that was kind of cool. But like if it's broken and it seems impossible to fix, like that's the kind of stuff that's it's miracles, you know, like that's mm-hmm. what it is. And that's what I'm passionate about is just yeah. seeing those miracles happen. And they can be very small scale yeah. in, in terms of just individuals' lives. But the more that happens, the more people that get engaged, the more people that are realizing, oh, like this is a real issue. Like right. what can I do like what else can I do but help like Mm -hmm. with the resources that I've been given um so yeah yeah something that I see a lot is people come to the south and they see all the problems that are on the news Mm -hmm. which is only the negative stuff um you know the news doesn't cover all the people like you trying to do all this work and stuff but they see that there's problems and maybe they see like a law that is passed or something like that and they say well i can't wait to leave Mm -hmm. i can't wait to go to a better place and before i criticize i get that like again yeah here i am i'm studying you know in a in a state two states over so like i totally get the want to be in a quote-unquote better place but Mm -hmm. like if all of the smart privileged progressive people leave the only people that you're hurting other are the poor people who can't leave you know like we're lucky that we can get in our car and drive to a better place but like if you really really want the south to be a better place leaving does nothing <laughs> leaving it just doesn't. lets the the people that are maybe enacting those laws or enforcing those laws or whatever that are making it in your opinion a negative place like you're just empowering them yeah you know and again I get it. (laughs) I'm I'm studying in a place other than my home state, but I do want to come back and film stuff in Mississippi Mm -hmm. and, and impact it in that way. And I think that's the important thing is to like figure out how you can do it because not everyone has to, you know, come down and like feed people at a soup kitchen, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's, it's on a per person basis. Like the way I've realized I can help is like shooting movies Mm -hmm. in the South and telling Southern stories that I know because those are the only stories that I know and, you know, trying to boost the local economy in that way. Um, 
but I, I just it I I have such a huge chip on my shoulder about being from Mississippi that I inherited from my father, yeah. <laughs> which I which I yeah it's which I'm happy about. But I just see these people that are like, oh, can't wait to leave this like hellhole. Mm-hmm. I'm like, great, it's not going to get any better. It like won't. all yeah. these people that are suffering are going to continue definitely. If you and, and it keep just takes that, that you know? perspective, and it's our culture is very individualistic, and so totally you know yeah. we we don't see beyond our immediate families right maybe you know like we yeah. might we we kind of struggle sometimes to look past our just just ourselves yeah. right like we sometimes we don't even look at our families like mm-hmm. that was a big thing for me it was yeah. i was so busy trying to distance myself from my family sometimes it was just like i wasn't even seeing the needs there but then like realizing oh like i i'm meant to play a role in this like mm-hmm. i have a responsibility in this and that's when you start thinking about like you're a part of the state mm-hmm. you're a part of the like yeah. socioeconomic issues like yep. you have a responsibility to be a part of correcting it as well to be right. able to speak into it to have a voice in it um and that's the only way that the change is going to be made and mm-hmm. like people believe oh well even if i say something it doesn't matter it's like well, maybe not just you but if it's you right. a collective of individuals who yeah. say this needs to be corrected right or this this is something that needs to be looked at and told right. or shared like that's where it makes the impact and so it does your voice matters and that's the biggest thing and yeah and that's why i'm passionate about sharing stories mm-hmm. it's i want your voice to be heard whatever that whatever that looks like for you right you know? and you know it's one of those things where it's like you have to think in the small scale mm-hmm. of like the the civil rights movement wasn't just like a month no. <laughs> you know like that was years no. of work yeah, that's what I'm saying, and like man. small sit-ins you yeah. know like stuff that we never hear about mm-hmm. people that we've never learned about mm-hmm. and but then you look back and you're like oh so much was accomplished because mm-hmm. a bunch of individuals made individual decisions you know and like obviously some of those were like huge scales like the march from montgomery to selma yeah. that's obviously like a big thing but you know, like it's all of those individual things. And even if you can sit down and talk to like one person mm-hmm. and have them understand your perspective and have them go like, huh, I never thought about it like that. That is a huge victory. Mm-hmm. And like, cause then they talk to someone and then they talk to someone yeah. and all of a sudden that shift in perspective, you've got a man. movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the laws are changing and all this stuff. So like, yeah. man, I, I wish we could snap our fingers and Mississippi would be, you know, the state of the future and, sure. <laughs> and all this stuff, but it's but. just, not that way mm-hmm. um but also all those people i invite you to come yes because there are really great parts of mississippi and great people trying great to people. do yeah. great things kobe and i would love to show you around we would we'll show you every pothole in jackson <laughs> dude man i'm just all circles <laughs> i'm just a grateful man like yeah. that they just take the time to spray the spray paint right. around the pothole yeah, right. um, and while they're so there they don't it. fix it but they <laughs> As we're talking about, man, I just want you know we're we're gonna get Jackson and, and Mississippi like right. it's gonna it's gonna be redeemed. And right. We're just like ah, oh, the bottles, the bottles. <laughs> um, what role do you see art playing in your future? Yeah. Um, so these next eleven months or so, I'll be working uh, in with Fellowship of Christian Athletes in their international missions department. Primarily, what I'll be doing is sharing the stories of our international partners, but also stories of individuals on the state side mm-hmm. who are creating movements to be right. able to help fund these different ministries, these different organizations, these people who uh, need that hope, that joy, that love uh, shared yeah. with them that only Christ can bring. And so we are trying to do different things like you know fundraising 
fundraisers, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. within. We did one story of this like school in Chattanooga, smallest town, smallest county, like yeah. eighth grade students raised eight grand worth of just pocket change, just mm-hmm. going around their town and raising this money and casting a vision. And it's like, man, if, if these kids from like the smallest towns like are capable of doing this, like mm-hmm. imagine the richer parts of Mississippi and the, right. those students, like and, and the resources that these different communities have, like if we can start really connecting all of these, these different communities into one unified body, the body of Christ to move forward to to help further the kingdom, then that's what we should be doing. And mm-hmm. so these stories are hopefully ways of being able to engage, to sometimes call out, to be able to just empower individuals to say, man, like I could do something like that too. I can really make an impact as an individual mm-hmm. with other people. And that's a beautiful part about it is the community that you're building and the amount of relationships you get to build mm-hmm. uh, with those that you know, you're coming alongside in, in their struggles and just relating to them in that place of, man, we, we all go through these struggles. And so art, you know, I used to, again, I used to think of it as much more like this, um, just this exchange of goods of just like, it's a business transaction. Mm-hmm. And within the past six months, I've just really began to dive in, man, like this is an expression of my perspective, right? A perspective unique to someone right. who grew up in Mississippi, right? Yep. Like that's, cause that's not something that everyone had. Like you grew mm. up in Mississippi, but maybe didn't experience the same racial issues or oh, maybe yeah, the same. Absolutely not. Like, yeah, you know, totally, there, there's yeah. so many different things that are mm. playing into just me as an individual. I'm a very white story. boy. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I think, I'm just realizing that that art is just so much more about like, how do I express who I am as an individual, mm-hmm. but what are my passions and how does that connect with the people around me? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And that's, right. that's great. <laughs> uh, either way. Um, but you know, this photo video thing was something that just kind of came out of nowhere mm-hmm. uh, within the past year. And I've been to Iraq to do media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to, to Paris to do media. I've been to Uganda this, this past May uh, and did that for a month and did media there. And mm-hmm. so, and then, you know, even the homeless experience, we went back and did a photo series with. And so I'm just, starting to see this theme of man there there are movements that are they're just coming to to fruition mm-hmm. and i get to be able to come alongside those and be a part of those and just be able to share exactly what's going on mm-hmm. talking with people and having genuine connections with those people and just mm-hmm. man it's it's just an amazing opportunity and so i think it's going to continue to develop again maybe it goes into something with world operation and, yeah. and creating a or having a creative agency to mm-hmm. reach people all around the world yeah just with the message with the message of uh, redemption mm-hmm. and, and hope so yeah, I don't Hell know, yeah, man. It's it's gonna it's gonna who develop. Knows? Yeah, <laughs> like we were talking about at dinner. Who knows? Who knows <laughs> about man, everything? Life takes so many turns. Yeah. There have been so many different connections, but yeah, it's really cool. So the final question before we wrap out uh, is, oh god, <laughs> I have a friend, Caitlin, who has like you know I always like ask on yeah, Instagram, yeah, yeah. tungsten originals on Instagram, sure. um, for people to submit questions, mm-hmm. and she always submits really funny crazy ones and hers for this episode was uh would you rather you kobe would you rather only eat beets for the rest of your life or be stuck forever with the feeling of having to sneeze but not being able to (laughs) wow (laughs) that that is a question and a half it sure is um 
man, there's just so Welcome many different to the layers to this, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, there are. Like, okay. Just like Mississippi's history. <laughs> so I just feel like this sense of anxiety every time that like I'm about to sneeze. You know, like you've right. ever been driving and like yeah. 70 miles an hour and you're about to and sneeze. Like it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, totally. So like just to have that consistent forever. feeling forever, I don't know if I could do it. So I'd right. probably just eat beets. Like I'm just turning into Dwight Schrute, right. man. Like, right. I wonder how healthy would that be just eating beets? Dude, I, I don't know. I don't even, I honestly, I couldn't tell you what a beat looks like. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> That's going to be the teaser for the intro. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's so unlike the rest of the episode. Honestly, I don't even know what a beat looks like. <laughs> it's just super different. <laughs> Cuts to us having these like serious conversations Definitely. about his history and problems. <laughs> Man. What a what a Mississippi conversation. Yeah, I absolutely. This absolutely. This has been good. Um, well, is there anything that you want to shout out before we wrap out? I'll put links to the description to World Operation Apparel and yeah, all man. that kind of stuff. But just any just like... follow me at Kobe V. So it's just K-O-B-E-V-E-E. Um, that's just kind of like my main page. And yeah. I've got a photography page that I do like kind of black and white and stuff. That's mm-hmm. kind of what it's shifted into. And mm-hmm. so um, I hope to be selling prints soon. Nice. Um, so I want to be able to start a website. Thought about doing like Etsy or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the proceeds of that would be going again kind of towards yeah. either uh, the trips that I'd be going on mm-hmm. to be able to share these stories um so that's kind of the big thing right now mm. it's like how do i raise this money to to be a part of that mm-hmm. you know process of sharing the stories uh, abroad and so that's probably what it'll be used for um and then yeah i mean follow i don't, I don't even know my instagram handle for world operation that sounds terrible uh it's it just oh, at world operation uh, i forget i, I think I'll, it'll be in it. the description yeah it. i'll figure it out <laughs> so, when i'm editing this it's yeah. like w underscore something 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 I don't know. I don't know. It's in the description. description. (laughs) Check it out. (laughs) Check it out, guys. And also follow Tuxman on Instagram. Uh, I want people to submit, you know, suggestions on who to interview. I've had a lot of fun sitting down talking to people. And, yeah, coming up on senior year, I want to talk to folks. So send me some suggestions. But, Kobe, thank you so much. This has been a bunch of fun. Thank you. It's been fun hanging out. Definitely. Haven't seen each other for a year. Yeah, a year and a half. Let's... Keep that time period shorter next to, <laughs> Definitely gonna have to. You need to, to come to Savannah and yes, when you're there, we can use some of that of SCAD film equipment. Like a week before you get back to Savannah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Literally going back tomorrow to hopefully find an apartment. So everyone wish me luck on that, sir. Praying for you, man. <laughs> thank you. Um, but Kobe, this has been so much fun. It has, man. Thank it's you been for a real down. blessing. And thank you guys for listening.